the CU 2.0 podcast. Welcome to the CU 2.0 podcast with your host, Robert McGarvey. Today's guest, Joe Bergeron. Say congratulations to Joe, and that's because he's in his 40th year of service to Vermont Credit Unions. He presently serves as CEO of the Association of Vermont Credit Unions. That gives him a close-up view of the issues and ideas that rock his state's 19 credit unions. One's over a billion dollars, some of them are too tiny. It's an interesting mix of credit unions. Credit unions also matter an incredible amount in the state of Vermont, which gives Joe, a, let's call it a, a nice position. In his podcast, he also talks about the relationship between the state leagues and CUNA. That's changed a lot. You know something about that. You'll hear a little more about it here. He talks about the relationship between state government issues and federal, and how small credit unions sometimes matter way beyond their size, particularly when lobbying politicians. It's a wide-ranging talk with an eye always planted on the future. Listen, you'll enjoy. What's the future of leagues? Let's start with that question. The future of leagues, well, you know, just like the future of credit unions and the future of many organizations, it's uh, it's it's pretty mixed in what's and it's whatever you're going to make of it. I I imagine credit union leagues themselves, with their narrow focus on credit unions and a continuing decline in the number of credit unions, uh, you know, it seems like if they want to continue in the future, they have to get increasingly and continuously imaginative and creative about, uh, you know, what things are going to be doing in the future to support their existence. Their, their purpose, their mission, their value to credit unions uh, becomes greater and greater as credit unions become larger, uh, but the number of members that they have become smaller and smaller. So that's the challenge. What do you see as the specific role of the state league versus the national association? So we are the local contact for the credit unions for whom we're responsible, whether it's a single state or a multiple state. You know, here in Vermont, uh, I like to think, and, and I believe our board has a position, that, you know, our reason for being, our mission is advocacy, you know, 100% advocacy. We do a lot of things, but our greatest value to credit unions day in, day out, week to week, month to month, year to year, is advocacy. At the state level, and of course, at national level too, uh, we're dependent upon our national association to be the uh, coordinator of everything, um, you know, advocacy related between states across the country. But we're responsible for interfacing with our members of Congress. And of course, at the state level in our legislature, it's just us. And there's nobody else out there. Un- unlike other business ventures, there's nobody you know, competing with us, dying to go advocate for the state's credit unions. Um, So if we didn't do it, it would be unlikely that some other organizations would pick up the slack and and start doing that for credit unions. So that is our primary reason for being. And what kind of issues come up in the legislature? For us in Vermont, and it's a pretty credit union friendly state, but uh, I put them into two kind of categories. You know, there are those issues that are uh, you know, financial institution specific, and within that, maybe credit union specific, whether they're initiated by us or by other entities or by standalone legislators. But the vast majority of issues that we deal with on an ongoing basis, and I think this is probably true in most states, is uh, 
uh, consumer protection related legislation measures out there. You'll have a legislator who gets approached by a constituent who, you know, has some story to share how they feel the constituent feels he or she got victimized by somebody out there, whether it's related to, uh, you know, identity uh, theft or data breach concerns or uh, a loan process they went through from some entity or another um, and has some kind of problem that the legislator tries to resolve. And, you know, what we encounter frequently is well-intended, but sometimes poorly executed legislation that has uh, benefit potentially to a consumer, but negative ramifications on the financial institutions, in our case, credit unions that are providing services to them. Uh, So our job is to help educate legislators and help them understand that we comprehend what you're trying to do, legislator, and we sympathize with that and support it and certainly support consumers because that's who are the owners of credit unions. But let us talk to you a little bit about the unintended consequences of this legislation and how we can work with you to help improve it so that you get what you want, but without the negative override onto financial institutions. Now, as I recall, Vermont has a citizen legislature, right? We do. And and so uh, that citizen legislature, you know, you have people in there, the 180 legislators that make up our state house uh, are, you know, dentists and convenience store owners and lawyers and, you know, it's all over the place. Um, and they are there, uh, well, the legislature's in session from the beginning of January into the month of May, sometimes later, uh, sometimes earlier. Um, but roughly for that period of time, sometimes, uh, you know, committees will get together over the summer months. Those 180 legislators, other than a few people in leadership, do not have uh, aides. They don't have any kind of staff or anything to help research uh, issues for them. So they are dependent upon uh, all of the lobbyists that infiltrate that state house every day of the legislative session um, for education and for information sharing and so on and so forth. And there are far more lobbyists in the state house than there are legislators. I hadn't thought of that. So in the absence of staff, the the lobbyists assume a much larger role in the life of the legislature. They do. You know, those legislators, you know, will rely heavily on um, um, state agencies, the the staff from state agencies on a particular issue. Uh, Like for our purposes, you know, they rely heavily on uh, lawyers and representatives from the Department of Financial Regulation, which is the financial regulator in the state of Vermont, or the AG's office on consumer protection issues and things like that. But they rely on folks like us from trade associations to weigh in on how some particular legislation uh, in real life will affect you know, a financial service provider. Uh, like a credit union, for example. In in the state of Vermont, and you mentioned this a few minutes ago, credit unions are pretty big in terms of the financial services pie, right? That's right. Uh, There are 19 credit unions in the state of Vermont, uh, and they range from very small to about one and a half billion in assets or so, maybe a little shy of that. Um, But about 60% of the population uh, is a member owner of a credit union. So that puts us in a pretty good position with legislators in terms of every legislator uh, in the state of Vermont, all 180 of them, have a pretty significant percentage of their constituents who are members of a credit union. In fact, probably a majority 
or more of those 180 legislators are members of a credit union themselves. And most of those legislators or, or many of them belong to another cooperative, a farming cooperative, for instance. Many do. Uh, many belong to, uh, there are a number of uh, substantial sized food cooperatives in the state of Vermont, electric utilities, um, uh, Cabot as part of Agrimark is based in Vermont. There, there are a lot of different cooperatives in the state of Vermont, uh, but credit unions are the only ones that um, have an ongoing lobbying presence in the state. But we do leverage that those cooperative roots uh, with legislators and credit unions as much as possible. Uh, of your of your members, how many do you think will go to a CUNIS GAC conference? Oh, uh, I wish I had looked that up before we started having this conversation, Robert. But uh, we usually have uh, from our um, 19 credit unions in the state of Vermont, we usually have a group of about 40 uh, or more that go from Vermont uh, to the Government Affairs Conference in Washington coming up in a couple of weeks, um, which we feel is a really strong representation uh, from a small state like Vermont. And remember, we only have one congressional district in Vermont. Uh, so one member of the House, two senators like every other state. So those 40 people or 45 people don't get divided up among different congressional offices. They all are visiting with all the same legislators. That's, that's, that's pretty awesome that all 40 go to visit one member of the House. We have a hard time uh, getting that number of people to fit inside the average legislator's office. Um, so we've taken to having uh, a luncheon uh, facilitated by our uh, senators uh, for the past couple of years, and we have them come to us instead of us going to each congressional office. And that's worked out well. Uh, will Bernie Sanders meet with the group this year? Well, that's a good question. Uh, his staff says he will. Uh, but of course, that was before you know his announcement came out that he was running for president, although that really didn't come as any surprise to anyone here. So we, we'll see. Um, but last year, uh, the last in 2016, rather, uh, he did meet with us last year, but in 2016, um, I think uh, he he did uh, end up meeting with us, even though he was uh, also on the campaign trail at the time. So we hope he will. I think sometimes people who are running for office will go to the G big GAC meeting and at least go on the stage for five minutes. I, I know I've been there when some right. name brand legislators came and said, hey, just going to say hello. Wish you good luck. I'm with you 100 percent. Goodbye. <laughs> yes. Right, right, right. Definitely so. And I think, in fact, uh, Bernie Sanders did that when he was just before the GAC, before he announced that he was running for uh, the Democratic nomination the first time. Uh, he, in fact, did that. But he was sought out by it. Now, Kuna. how has the relationship between the league and CUNA changed over the years? You know, it it's it's good for starters and always has been good, but the dynamics are different uh, ever since the separation of, you know, the dual membership development that came up some years ago. So it seems like, you know, especially in a small state like Vermont, we are still dependent upon our partner at a national level to help quarterback all of our, you know, federal related issues and and provide, uh, you know, coordination with other states and so on and so forth and, and interface with federal agencies for compliance purposes and whatnot. 
And so, so that part of the relationship is still all the same. But, you know, CUNA has like people out in the field now uh, representing itself to credit unions, trying to, you know, uh, work to build and support membership directly with larger credit unions. And, and that doesn't step on us at all. It doesn't negatively impact us, but it is just a different kind of dynamic out there. So we're still in Vermont, still uh, collecting dues for CUNA and it, you know, it's pretty much the same as it always has been operationally as far as credit unions are concerned in Vermont anyway. But, you know, some of the communications we have to, you know, coordinate uh, a little bit more intentionally between us and CUNA when we're talking to credit unions on issues and so on and so forth. So, you know, it's it's good. It's still strong. It's just, like I said, a little bit different dynamic right, right now than it was over my you know, 30 prior, I've been doing this job for 40 years. And so it was always, you know, one entity, the league and CUNA uh, delivering support services to your local credit union. And now it's, it's two, we're still working hand in hand. We like to be portrayed as one, uh, but we have to be a little more, I guess I'll say intentional uh, about well, it. And now the big difference, if I remember correctly, is that a credit union can belong to say CUNA and not belong to the local league, Right. Right. And vice versa. Yeah. So, so that is true. Did you lose any members when, when that shift came? Uh, There's one credit union that chose not to belong to CUNA because it had some uh, thoughts about some of the uh, CUNA stance on, I forget what the particular governance, not governance, but advocacy issue was, but a different perspective on some issue. And so it chose not to belong to CUNA any longer, but it does belong to us. But you know, by far and away, most credit unions in the state, all the other credit unions in the state are members now, of Now, you don't have any, what I would consider big, big credit union in Vermont. The, the biggest uh, is the, a billion, the a largest, billion, billion yeah, three, billion four, something like that. Uh, we do have a $1.4 to $1.5 billion credit union. Uh, that's New England Federal Credit Union. Um, years ago, it was its roots are uh, as an IBM credit union, but it expanded its field of membership quite a few years ago to become New England Federal. Uh, so they are in the 1.4 to 1.5 billion dollar uh, arena. Then it drops down below a little bit below a billion to the Vermont State Employees Credit Union that goes by VSCCU. Um, they have a statewide field of membership. Uh, they are the largest state chartered credit union in Vermont. Uh, and in fact, you know, there's been enough bank consolidation in the state that the largest the largest financial institution domiciled in Vermont is a credit union. Yeah, that's fascinating. I don't think any of the big, big banks do business in Vermont. Uh, there are some regional uh, banks or maybe even super regional banks uh, like uh, Toronto Dominion and citizens and so on and so forth that have a presence in the state. But uh, as I said, the largest uh, financial institution that's domiciled in the state and uh, you know governed by our state regulator is a credit union. So that that's a change that uh, you know, has happened over the years through a lot of consolidation in the banking industry. And so, you know, a lot of the community banks in Vermont um, have been acquired by large. Are there any credit banks. unions trying to form in Vermont that you're aware of? No, we have. I, you know, I can't even remember the last time that we formed a credit union in Vermont because it was so. So no, there's long one ago. forming uh, in Maine. Yeah, you know, I, I think it'll succeed Maine Harvest. Yeah. And, and I've talked with those so guys yes, many yeah. times over the years, and it's a multi-year process, as I'm sure you know. Uh, and they are yes. 
they, they really believe that a state they should be in is is after Maine is Vermont because of the the farm community there. That could be. Uh, you know, they have a as as I understand, and I don't know much about it, but I think it's they entirely. They do not focus. do consumer um, banking. It cannot be your only credit union. They want to make loans right. for your fifty right. cow dairy farm, and that's it. Nothing else. Right. You know, and and that's the kind of credit that's being formed these days is, you know, those with a very narrow focus like that. Vermont being a small state, you know, all the credit unions, virtually all the credit unions, maybe say about one or two, have uh, a community-based field of membership. Um, and some, as I mentioned, a statewide, essentially, field of membership. So, you know, when a group comes along and thinks, for whatever reason, we need another source of financial services in our community. There are credit unions that they'll turn to to discuss that first before they likely think of forming a new credit union. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, the consolidation of banks in the state um, within the past couple of years, we've had in a community or two, the, the loan community bank that had a branch location in some small community in Vermont leave. Um, and be replaced by a credit union when people, you know, would contact whatever the closest credit union was or other credit unions and say, hey, would you consider coming to town to replace the departure of, of the bank that we had? So some well, credit The Maine League is one way. of the biggest supporters of Maine Harvest, and they, they've had that support all along. I, I don't think they would have tried to launch without support from the League. Right. Well, the league, you know, and and we've helped charter credit unions in the past. It's just quite a while ago. Um, and the league serves, you know, an important role uh, in the chartering of a credit union because typically, not always, but typically the people that are looking to charter a credit union, you know, just don't have the um, history with whether it's a state regulator or NCUA and the state laws and so on and so forth and what it takes to form a credit union. So so that's another area in which the league serves. An well, I think the league also mind, can anyway. run political interference, particularly in a state like Maine or Vermont. How many of your uh, credit unions are sure. state chartered? Um, all but six are state chartered. Um, so, And as you might expect, with the exception of the Vermont State Employees Credit Union, VSCCU, that I referenced earlier, um, all of the larger ones are federally chartered, and the state charter ones are, I'll say, middling size and down. And I think that goes back to, um, in history, you know, the time that most of these credit unions were chartered, um, you know, they had to choose between federal and state law. And over my decades here, you know, I've seen those two laws, Vermont and federal, go back and forth as far as which one was more advantageous. Um, it depended on what you wanted for a field of membership or, you know, what restrictions were going on, depending on what kind of services you want to provide and whatnot. So somewhat state, somewhat federal. There's been a few uh, charter conversions over the years, you know, going, bouncing from one to the other and maybe back again in some cases. But, you know, most of the laws between federal and state in Vermont anyway are pretty much on par currently. It's just a matter of what your historical preference is and you know who you prefer to do business now, with. Some people talk about ending with. state charters. Do you see that as any kind of realistic possibility? I don't know how realistic that is. I don't think that would be prudent though. Um, uh, my whole career being spent in a trade association um, with like-minded people running other trade associations across the country and whatnot, 
you know, I accept and agree with the fact that we need a dual chartering system. We need a healthy dual chartering system. Um, I don't think that for the credit union system overall that it would be healthy to have credit unions all federally chartered and not state chartered at all. Um, you know, I think even though Vermont and federal laws are on par with each other right now, for my example, um, I don't know that you know if there were no state charters across the country, I think federal law would look different than it does now and possibly more restrictive. Or if there were no federal law and it were all state charters across the country, I think those state laws would end up being probably substantially more conservative in some cases than they are today. So I think it's healthy to have both and to have credit and I, I don't have a dog in that particular fight. Uh, what, what do you see as the future for small credit unions? And let's define small as pick a number under 300 million in assets, under 100 million, any number you like. Well, the small number keeps getting bigger and bigger, right? It used to be, I remember the day when it was under 5 million, then it was 25 and then 50. And now I hear people talking about 100 and 300 as you referenced. So whatever anybody's personal definition of small credit union is, you know, naturally there, there's a certain amount of, when there's consolidation in the credit industry, it's going to happen more uh, frequently and probably more easily among small credit unions and does larger credit unions, obviously, not always, but frequently. Um, a lot of that is due to regulatory burden and people who are retiring that, you know, in the smallest of credit unions, you know, they've, they've kind of grown up uh, with that particular credit union. And when it comes time to retire, you know, they're so embedded in that credit union that uh, the board or whoever else just doesn't see how somebody else could support that position. But I think there is still a future for whatever you define as small credit unions in that they, they may have to do it a little bit differently and be more focused. I think the successful future for whatever you define as a small credit is not to be all things to all people, but to be focused um, and maybe narrow the service offerings somewhat, but do really well at them. And if you think about it, all of the you know, fintechs that we hear about today and everything and all the different service providers that are competing with credit unions. Most, many of them, you know, have a much narrower focus. They're, they're picking off one line of business and they're not trying to be all things to all people like the neighborhood community bank was, you know, down years ago down the road. So I think there's a future for credit unions of all sizes. And, and I also think, and I've told a lot of people, and I, I don't know if I'm going to live long enough to see this, but as we see consolidation at the smaller end of credit unions and credit unions growing bigger and broader, and you know, the community credit union that covers, you know, some county, let's say that you belong to today, you know, tomorrow, maybe as a statewide field of membership or a multi-state field of membership and whatnot, and you're dealing with a branch instead of the main office and whatnot. As we trend more towards that, you know, how long is it going to be down the road before some group like the farmers in Maine that you reference saying, you know, we could get service from one of those large credit unions or a larger financial institution, but we'd like to create something where we have direct control and that is focused on our specific needs just locally here in, in Maine in that case. And so I think there's going to be opportunity for a lot of uh niche kind well, of one of the worrisome things the is that day. if i remember the numbers last year ncua said that 196 credit unions merged and which essentially means that roughly 100 credit unions went out of business 
And how many new credit union charters were there last year? I don't know the number offhand, but I'd say if it was four, it was a really busy year. So, the, so. there's a lot more attrition than there is birth in the credit union world, which I view as extremely worrisome. And that's been true for a long, long time. It is. I don't I don't like that, uh, being a dyed in the wool, you know, credit union advocate for all these decades now. But, you know, it is the word, way of the world. And I recognize that it's not limited to credit unions. It's not limited to financial institutions. Uh, you know, there's consolidation all over the place, airline industry, automotive industry, uh, you know, stores certainly and so on and so forth. So, you know, it is the way of the world and everybody's seeking bigger and bigger economies of scale. And that's all well and good for, for those that seek that. And, but getting back to what I was saying before, I think that, you know, at some point when that pendulum swings far enough to the big end of the spectrum, it potentially opens up doors for opportunities for someone to start that very localized, very narrowly focused venture, uh, you know, locally. So I don't think we've seen the end of credit unions being chartered. Uh, I just think that ones that get chartered into the future will be small in number uh, and will be unique. It's not going to be some new community-based credit union or a new credit union chartered for the employees of ABC Manufacturing Company like it right. was. I, I, you have to have a special 60s. commitment to want this credit union to go through the chartering process. And I'm not opposed to the chartering process. I think it's a good thing for, for sure. the government to be somewhat stringent about it. Uh, that said, it's still a stringent process. Have you looked at, and I know the, the main league does this, uh, providing technology services to members? Uh, you mean to the credit unions? So the main league, you know, provides core data processing services to credit unions, and it has done that for well, as long as I've been around and before that, so for a very long time. Um, I think they're unique. I think there were a number of credit union leagues uh, back when I first started that were in that line of business. And I'm not sure if they're the only one left, but if they're not the only one, maybe they're one of two, but I, I'm guessing they're probably the only one. You know, it's great that they've been successful um, and have been able to provide that all of these decades. But, you know, I don't see that being a business area that other credit union leagues get into in the future because it is so competitive and such thin margins. Um, and it takes a lot of knowledge and a lot of uh, well, One of the advantages is that, that uh, Maine Harvest has is when, when assuming their charter goes through, they will open up and all their back office will be provided by the Maine league, which is a proven system. And I think that's just smoothed the way uh, to some extent for the regulatory approval I, process. Yeah. It, it, the tech, it will work. You know, we just slap a new name on this thing. And, uh, yeah, right. And, and that's awesome for them that they have that opportunity uh, to leverage um, that data processing system that the main league doing business under the name Synergent provides to credit unions, not just in Maine, but elsewhere in the country too. And, you know, it's it's a little similar, I'm getting off topic here, but a little similar to, uh, you know, what we see with Desjardins credit unions in Quebec, just north of Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont. Um, so, you know, they have a very centralized system and they have one data processing system that all of their case populate or credit unions to us all are required to participate in. Um, but they, you know, go much further than we do in terms of, uh, uniformity between 
credit unions. Uh, so they'll have the same marketing, the same branding, so on and so forth. You know, what you referenced about Maine Harvest kind of reminds me of that in that, uh, you know, the well, infrastructure. Is I see a future for leverage. small credit unions as essentially a marketing front ends where everything on the back end provi- is provided centrally, probably to hundreds or maybe thousands of small credit unions. That may be. You know, I've read about and spoken to some people in the past about some, uh, I don't know if I'd call it experiments, but trials of, you know, a larger, I'll call it parent credit union, supporting the back office operations for a much smaller credit union and taking care of their, maybe their accounting, their internal auditing, maybe some of their underwriting process, providing them data processing and so on and so forth. I don't think, you know, there's been a lot of talk about that in the past. And I think there certainly have been a a fair number of, I'll call it experiments in that area. And I think there are some of those situations somewhere in the country today. Just don't read about it an awful lot anymore. And I'm not sure why that is. Um, Yeah, Uh, I I know some larger institutions are still exploring that. And another thing we're seeing, are you seeing this in Vermont, is credit unions sharing services. I'll give you a case. And I know this for a fact in Southern California where a number of small credit unions have come together and hired one compliance officer who works for all of them. And this gives them a fully professional person who knows the ins and outs of of the federal requirements. And there's enough work to support a pretty decent salary. We, We don't have that going on in Vermont just yet. We have talked about that sort of thing. Um, applied to, you know, a couple different kinds of scenarios, compliance being one of them. And, and it, but it does go on. I think the compliance example is a good one because, you know, we've seen and heard about that quite a bit going on across the country in different areas. It's easier, I think, logistically uh, to pull off in a, say, a metropolitan area where you have credit unions, uh, a number of credit unions of somewhat comparable size or at least comparable needs within close proximity to each other, you know, as opposed to credit unions on, you know, other sides, opposite sides of the state or something like that. You know, to, to, we are, we are in a time of, you know, more and more business uh, and back, back office support, more and more people working remotely. Uh, so, you know, in the future, as it becomes increasingly possible to do those kinds of activities, whether it's compliance or something else, um, HR, for example, or whatever, uh, remotely, um, I think that probably will become more commonplace. But when you want a presence, even... I, I think small credit unions are the face of credit unions. and I agree. And, and getting back to you know our, the beginning of our discussion, it was about advocacy. And when we go into the state house, you know, what's most effective with legislators and when you have the discussion about a small credit union, they expect to hear that some billion dollar credit union has X number of offices and provides, you know, the long list of different kinds of services and, and unique stories about, you know, how they helped out a person. What they don't expect is when you're relating the story about a very small credit union with just a couple people working in it, or maybe one person in some instances, and how much good they're doing uh, for their members. And, you know, I cited the example a couple of weeks ago in our state house when all of the uh, 
you know, legislators had a very, a very big awareness of the federal shutdown that was going on at the time. And they were asking us and others to come in to cite for them, you know, what are credit unions doing for members and whatnot. One of the stories that I related um, was about an, uh, an under $10 million credit union with just a couple of employees that on uh, the day before a federal payday during that federal shutdown, the manager or CEO of that credit union, you know, called about 100 or 150 people in her membership that she knew would be affected by that federal shutdown and were not going to have a payroll allotment posted to their credit union account that day, from which, you know, mortgage payments, car loan payments, tax payments, so on and so forth all went. And so she called, you know, 100 or 150 of her members to make sure everything was okay, explain what she could do with them and for them and so on and so forth. And those people were hugely appreciative of that outreach by this one person, one of two working in a small credit union. And I have to tell you, legislators were just, you know, they they heard everything else, all the great stories that we told, but they really zeroed in on that story uh, because they were just amazed. Before we go, the CU 2.0 podcast is looking for a few good sponsors to help us spread the word about the digital transformation of credit unions. You could be one of them. Contact Robert McGarvey for details at rjmcgarvey at gmail.com. First come, first served. Again, that's rjmcgarvey at gmail.com. Now for a word from our sponsor. Are you looking to recapture members, increase your margins, live your mission? QCash is what you want to know about. That's because QCash delivers a fully automated, small dollar, short-term credit solution that allows credit unions to meet members' short-term cash needs. Accuso, it's dedicated to helping credit unions build financial stability and health for its members. Check out QCash at Q- The CU 2.0 Podcast.